Today we're going to finish our short study in the first half of the book of Exodus. We've been in this for 11 weeks now. And, and by the way, if you were with, uh, with us last week and didn't get a copy of the Biblical Life Perspectives list that went out to all the SALT groups, those are printed and available in the foyer for anybody who's interested. But let's open our Bibles to Exodus chapter 15 for this short reading. As I mentioned, uh, this is amazing that God has brought us to these passages when He does. Now, even last week, biblical life perspective. Some of you know that a few hours after I preached that sermon, my transmission blew up in Fife on the vehicle we just used vehicle we just bought three weeks prior, and I had to ask myself. Is God really in control of my physical circumstances? Did He really have something to do with this today? And, uh, you know, as Ruth and I reflected, and I went to bed last night and looked at those 20 life lessons and read through them again for myself, as Ruth and I reflected, we saw the fingerprints of God all over that day. I, I just want you to know that. I mean, the, the transmission literally blew up. Our, my mechanic said in over 50 years of auto repair, he has only seen this happen one time. And he is a GM man, and it's a GM vehicle. If I'd have been thinking fast enough, I would have asked him, was it a pastor? <laughs> it, but I didn't. Um, but, you know, it, it, was, it was rainy, it was stormy. We jumped on I-5 from Highway 16, and you know what I-5 I looks like right there. We headed north and uh, pouring down rain, and all of a sudden the baby started just screaming. You know, one of those, one of those cries where you're like, if we don't pull over, something's going to happen to the baby. So we raced for the next exit, pulled off, pulled into a parking lot, and the transmission gave out right there. That was God. I, just, I really have to believe that was God. Because in that thick of traffic, I, I don't know, without any acceleration power, we lost all acceleration. I don't know that I would have made it to the side of the freeway on the middle of I-5, in a terrible rainstorm. So, I mean, and there's just thing after thing from that day. We looked back, and God said, I have a lesson for you. Matter of fact, I got 20 of them. And um, so I, I thank the Lord for that. God has provided for all of our needs and more in the past week. And we're humbled and we're grateful. And uh, I'm reminded that God leads for a reason. And today we come to Exodus chapter 15. And again, it's amazing that God, is, God has brought us to this victory song of Moses in Israel on Christmas Sunday morning. I don't think I've ever studied Exodus at Christmas, but as we're going to see the victory and the strength and the hope that God so freely gave Israel some 3,500 years ago, and, and He delivered to us again 2,000 years ago, right? It is still available, free to all who will believe on Jesus Christ. And that is why we celebrate Christmas. This song that we are about to read encapsulates so much of this holiday season and its true biblical meaning. So listen as I read Exodus 15 verses 1 through 21. Then Moses and the sons of Israel sang this song to the Lord and said, I will sing to the Lord, for He is highly exalted. The horse and its rider He has hurled into the sea. Children, that's speaking of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt in his chariot. The horse and its rider He has hurled into the sea. That's speaking of the Red Sea, 
when it came crashing down on Pharaoh and the armies of Egypt after all the people of Israel had walked right through the middle of the sea on dry ground. Many of you know this story, children. Verse 2, The Lord is my strength and song, and He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise Him. My Father's God, and I will extol Him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is His name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he cast into the sea, and the choicest of his officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deeps cover them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, is majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. And in the greatness of your excellence, you overthrow those who rise up against you. You send forth your burning anger, and it consumes them as chaff. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters were piled up. The flowing waters stood up like a heap. The deeps were congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall be gratified against them. I will draw out my sword. My hand will destroy them. You blew with your wind, the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. In your loving kindness, you have led the people whom you have redeemed. In your strength, you have guided them to your holy habitation. The peoples have heard, they tremble. Anguish has gripped the inhabitants of Philistia. Then the chiefs of Edom were dismayed. The leaders of Moab, trembling, grips them. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them. By the greatness of your arm, they are motionless as stone. Until your people pass over, O Lord, until the people pass over whom you have purchased, you will bring them and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. We'll stop there for now. That is why we celebrate Christmas. Think about it. Jesus Christ is the God of the Bible. He is the God of the Exodus. He is the God of the Red Sea. Come down to earth as a babe. He is the one true, all-powerful, holy God who reigns forever and ever. That's why we worship Him and celebrate His birth. Let's bow our heads in prayer and then Junior Church will be dismissed. Heavenly Father, what can we do but stand in awe at Your mighty power? There is none like You. And that's why we worship You. And that's why our hearts are so glad so excited at the thought of the God of the Bible becoming one of us 
leaving what he so deserved in heaven to be born in a humble manger, to grow up and to die for us. But we know that that baby grown to a man did not stay dead. The third day, he came back to life. And that is also why we so celebrate this season. Thank you, Lord. Overwhelm our hearts this morning with the love and the power of our Savior, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Junior Church is dismissed. God bless you guys as you spend your time together. It's for ages 2 to 8. If we have any guests with us, you're welcome to walk them back there if you'd like. I think the 2 to 4-year-olds will be downstairs and the the 5 to 8-year-olds will be upstairs in the fireside room. But for us, what we just read is the victory and celebration song of Moses and of Israel. The fact that this was the song of Israel indicates that this wasn't a random prayer. This wasn't a random song. This was carefully thought through, carefully crafted, and dispersed among all the people so that they could all sing it. They could all celebrate it. And if I understand correctly from the research I did, this is the oldest and thus the first recorded song in Scripture. Throughout the Scriptures, there are several songs of celebration and victory. You can probably think of some of them right now. We know that David had some songs. He had a song of protection in 2 Samuel 22. There's Israel's song of praise and thanksgiving in Numbers chapter 21 when God gave them water from the rock. They weren't far from giving another song there. There's also Solomon's song of marital love in the book, Song of Solomon. And there's the well-known song of Mary and her praise to God as she held the Savior in her womb. There are several others, not to mention the whole book of Psalms. As we study this song of Moses, we learn much about the character and the behavior of the baby in the manger who would grow to be a man, God-man, the Savior of the world. There's much we learn about the character and the behavior of God, specifically as it relates to His enemies, and even a little as it relates to those who trust and follow Him. But granted, that little that we learn is of no small significance. So we're going to do a, a brief study of this celebration song this Christmas Sunday morning. And as we study, recognize that the power of God over the enemy has not changed. Matter of fact, one doesn't have to study this too deeply to recognize it's an incredible picture of what Jesus has done for us in conquering sin and Satan. Look for the parallels as we go. Verse 1, I will sing to the Lord, for He is highly exalted. The horse and its rider He has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song and has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise Him, my Father's God, and I will extol Him. We must observe the very personal nature of this song. I will sing. The Lord is my strength, my song, my salvation, my God. 
I will praise Him. My Father's God. I will extol Him. He's not just strong. He doesn't just save. He's not just God. He's my God, my strength, and my salvation. He is the theme of my heart's joy. When my heart instinctively bursts forth in songs of praise, He is the one I sing about. Can we all say this together? Is this our song? And we don't just sing about Him. We sing to Him. The song begins with, I will sing to the Lord. This is a very important aspect of our worship. We don't just sing about God. We understand that He is real. He is here. He is listening and He is speaking. And so we often sing to Him. We need to constantly remind ourselves of this in our singing. Do our children realize that when we come to church, we're not coming here primarily to see each other. We're coming to see God in His Word. We are coming to hear God speak to us. And we are coming here to speak to Him. And we see at the start of this chapter that there is a reason we sing of Him and to Him, and that is He deserves it. We sing, what does it say? Because He is highly exalted. He's lifted up. He is honored. We don't just worship God because it's the right religious thing to do, or like the Egyptians, because we're trying to appease all of the gods and get whatever favor we can from them. No, we do it because He has earned it. His behavior and His very being deserve the worship we give on Sunday morning and all throughout the week. Verse 3, the Lord is a warrior. The Lord is His name. When you and, you and I picture God, who do we see? Everyone has their own image of God in their minds, their own idea of who He is. For many, it's partially correct and partially incorrect. Many see Him as some nebulous spiritual being way out there somewhere. He is so much more than that. Some see Him as creator. Some see Him as love. Others as sovereign. And He is all those things. But do we also see Him as a warrior? The supreme warrior. An angry warrior as verse 7 points out, the undefeated warrior, the supreme warrior, the last warrior standing. That's who God is. Look at how this is so vividly described. Verse 4, Pharaoh's chariots and his army God has cast into the sea, and the choicest of his officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deeps cover them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, is majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. And in the greatness of your excellence, you overthrow those who rise up against you. You send forth your burning anger, and it consumes them as chaff. That's stubble. It burns them up quickly and ferociously like dry grass. 
What many have sadly and devastatingly seen in the California wildfires over the past few months is just a glimpse at what God does to his enemies. Do we realize this? Verse 6 says that the right hand of the Lord, speaking of his strong hand, the right hand of the Lord is majestic in power. There is a kingliness about his might, a dominance, a stunning brilliance. His might rules from the highest throne. We also see three things about the enemies of God. What are they? They will be shattered, overthrown, and consumed. We could sum that up in one word, annihilated. They'll be crushed, thrown out, and vaporized. Makes you kind of not want to be an enemy of God, doesn't it? It causes us to think twice before rising up against the Lord, standing up to Him, confronting Him, arguing with Him, opposing Him. There's an important strategy in warfare that goes something like this. Know your enemy. Before we choose to resist and fight against God, we would do well to know who the Almighty is and what He does to all His true enemies. Verse 8. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters were piled up. The flowing waters stood up like a heap. The deeps were congealed in the heart of the sea. I'll admit I wasn't sure what congealed meant. It means to change from a soft or fluid state to a rigid or hard state. So the waters were hardened. They became a solid wall. As we studied last week, a solid wall on the left and on the right. Verse 9, the enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall be gratified against them. I will draw out my sword. My hand will destroy them. Those were the words, the thoughts of Pharaoh. And what was God's response? Verse 10, you blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. You blew with your wind. My family celebrated Toby's birthday just a couple weeks ago. Liam's last week. Picture these boys blowing out the candles on their cake. That's what God did. He blew and the enemy sank like lead. Verse 11, who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders, these two rhetorical questions demand answers in order to appreciate them. Think through all the strong people in your life. Think through the greatest strengths in yourself. Think through the great list of leaders of nations, the greatest leaders of history, those who ruled world empires. This verse says, put your best man or woman forward and compare them to God. Who is like the Lord, majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders? Who can do ten plagues like we just saw? And the answer is, there is none like you, O Lord. Verse 12, you stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. In your loving kindness, you have led the people whom you have redeemed. In, the strength, in your strength, 
You have guided them to your holy habitation. This verse is like the splash of color in an otherwise black and white piece of art. This is like the water, the pool in the desert. In the midst of this fiery and fear-invoking picture of the Almighty, we find this sudden, beautiful contrast, this balance to His character. He is also a God full of loving kindness, one who guides His people to His holy home. Our minds envision a gentle shepherd, one who loves his sheep, one who not only bought them, but bought them back, redeems them, one who uses his great strength to lead them. We're reminded that the most powerful man is not to be feared unless he happens to be your good, loving dad, right? And that's the way we want it to be. And where does God lead His people, His sheep, with His strength? Not just to green pastures, not just to still waters. He leads them to His own holy home. I couldn't help but catch that as Paul read during the song set. That means God invites those who follow Him to live with Him in His own perfect, holy habitation. The text prompts us to ask, what loving, caring shepherd is there like you, O Lord? The answer swiftly comes, there is none. Verse 14, the peoples have heard, they tremble. Anguish has gripped the inhabitants of Philistia. Then the chiefs of Edom were dismayed. The leaders of Moab, trembling, grips them. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them. By the greatness of your arm, they are motionless as stone. One has to appreciate the poetic value, the marvelous wordsmithing of Scripture. We learn here that the enemies of God will sooner or later all respond the same way. In trembling, Anguish, dismay, they will molten into nothing. They will become overcome with terror and dread, and they will freeze, motionless as stone. That's the whole deer in the headlight syndrome, right? When God strikes, they won't even know what hit them, let alone be able to dodge or block his crushing blow. Verse 16 continues Until your people pass over, O Lord, until the people pass over, whom you have purchased. You will bring them and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. There's the final reality. God is going to win. There is going to be a final battle, and he will come out the dominating victor. A quick read through Revelation will put some meat on the bones of verse 18 here. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. I think I heard that some from our church family were able to, to attend Handel's Messiah this month. Just listen to the lyrics of the Hallelujah Chorus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. For the God, the Lord God, omnipotent, 
What does that mean? All-powerful, reigneth. Surely Handel was thinking of the Exodus when he wrote this chorus in addition to Revelation 19. The chorus continues, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. King of kings and Lord of lords, King of kings and Lord of lords, and He shall reign forever and ever, forever and ever. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. And who is this warrior king? Revelation 19, 11 to 16 says, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True, and in his righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. My first thought is, man, I can't wait to see that. My immediate follow-up thought is, I'm not sure I'm ready to see that. That kind of power, that kind of authority, that kind of righteousness, that kind of judgment and reign. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Back to our text in Exodus, verse 19. For the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, and the Lord brought back the waters of the sea on them. But the sons of Israel walked on dry land through the midst of the sea. How amazing it was to quickly study this Red Sea battle again last week in chapters 13 and 14. Again here, the tremendous destruction of the enemies of God stands in stark contrast to the dry land, the perfectly safe redemption and salvation of those who believed and followed God. Verse 20. Miriam the prophetess, Aaron's sister, took the timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dancing. Miriam answered them, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and his rider he has hurled into the sea. This victory over Pharaoh in Egypt was incredible. Miriam and these women had a right to celebrate. They were ready to party. Are you ready to party over the next couple days? This is a time of great celebration. But I want to close this Exodus series with this reminder. Our salvation is so much greater than what we have seen in this book. 
You see, there is another horse in his rider who will be hurled into the sea. Do you know who I'm talking about? Satan and death. Listen to these staggering verses in Revelation chapter 20, verses 7 through 10. When the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for the war. The number of them is like the sand of the seashore. And they came up upon the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city. And fire came down from heaven and devoured them. That is, it devoured the enemies who surrounded the saints of God. Verse 10, and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake, the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Jump to verses 14 and 15. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake, the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. That's quite a thought, isn't it? Yes, Satan and death will be thrown into the ultimate eternal Red Sea, the lake of fire, as well as all those whose names are not written in the book of life forever and ever. The Lord is a warrior. He is a warrior king, and he will win. Did you know that's why we celebrate Christmas? This beautiful baby was born a king, a warrior king, a winning king. The Christ child is so much more than just an infant lowly, born away in a manger in the little town of Bethlehem on that silent night so long ago. That baby brought joy to the world because the Lord had come. Earth had received her king. We're going to celebrate Jesus Christ right now as the men come to serve communion. If you would please hold the bread and the cup until we're all served and after I pray in a couple minutes. If you're a follower of Christ, if you believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, and if your faith is in Him for forgiveness of sin, then these elements are for you to partake of. If you're not a follower of Christ, that's okay. Don't be embarrassed. Just, I encourage you to pass the plate to the next person. Consider what we are celebrating today. We take these to remember why this baby was born. He was born so that he could grow up so that his body could be broken for us and so that his blood could be shed for us so that we might receive the remission of sins, complete forgiveness of all our sins. Jesus Christ took our place on the cross. We were the, the sinners 
who deserved the punishment, the punishment of sin, which is death, eternal separation from God in hell. But the great warrior king, Jesus, stepped in and he took my place. He took your place. He mounted the cross for everyone who will believe in him. That's why we celebrate Christmas. It's why we so reverently celebrate his death. We know he died to live again the third day and to reign. Friend, if you haven't believed, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ and his word and what he did on the cross and in the resurrection, then I invite you to believe in him today. Romans chapter 10 gives some of the most profound words of Scripture. In verses 9 to 13, it says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the Scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. Pete was not disappointed this week. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on Him. I am reminded that no matter how bad my past is, I am included in the all in that verse. No no matter what sin I have done, perhaps that no one else even knows of, I am included in that all. The same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on Him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is the greatest Christmas gift given. God gave His Son. One of the most famous of all scriptures. Most of you know it says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. If you want God to be the eternal King of your life, won't you believe today? Do you have a better option? Have you found a warrior better than the one that history records in the pages of Scripture? If you have questions, please feel free to speak to me or to Pastor Mark or anyone here so we can study the Bible with you and in the most real sense show you why Christmas is so special to us. Jesus came to give us the free gift of eternal life. That's why this season is so dear to us. 1 Corinthians 11 verses 23 to 26 says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed, this is just before he was crucified, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you, pro you proclaim the Lord's death. Will you say it with me? Until he comes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's with the most reverent celebration that we give thanks and praise at the wonder of the love of God. A love so deep and so true that it moved the heart of God to send His only begotten Son, His perfect Son, to come and take our place on the cross. Lord, as we celebrate Christmas over the next couple days, let us never lose sight of what that infant really stands for. He is a warrior king. He is a loving father. Lord, you have been so good to us through your son, Jesus Christ. We love you. We celebrate you this day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.